0: Today I'm going to share with you from First Peter chapter 1, again we're studying First Peter, stand firm and the message today is the God of your past, the God of your future and the God of your present. So stand with me for the reading of the word of God, First Peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 9. If need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Our Father in heaven, Lord God, we pray this today. Open up our hearts, Lord God. You are such a great and glorious God. As we just sang and we just praised you, Lord, we just lifted up our hearts and hands to you, Lord God, you're great. You're our creator, you're our maker, you're our sustainer, you're our savior, you're our Lord, you're our king. You're everything. And Lord God, you're the God. You're the God of our past. You're the God of our future and you're the God of our present. I pray, Lord God, we would all leave this place, Lord God, with that with that deep conviction and awareness of you, the great God, in our lives. Through your Son Jesus, we pray this. Amen. There is a great verse that I want to read to you from Psalm 42, verse 8, where the psalmist says, The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night, his song shall be with me. A prayer to, and I want you to notice the last four words, the God of my life. I don't know where you are. I think as the pastor, we're omnipotent and omniscient, and we know everything. I don't know where where most of you are in your walk with Christ. I don't even know if some of you even have a walk with Christ. But I will say this for myself. He is the God of my life. The God who reveals Himself to us in the Bible, the Father, Son, and Spirit, He is the God of my life. And He has been the God of my life since the day that I was conceived. You know what it says in the Scriptures? That He actually drew us on His drawing board. Psalm 139, before we were ever created. And He knit us together in our mother's wombs. He was there knitting me together in Mama's womb. He was there on the day that I was born. He was there on the day that I began to crawl. He was there on the day that I took my first steps. He is the God of my life. He is the God of my life who was there when I went through my terrible twos My terribles, threes, fours, fives, twenty-twos, forty fours, and fifty-sixes. He was there. And he's always been there as the God of my life. He was there when I went through kindergarten. And I remember my first day in kindergarten. And he was there with me. And he was there when I went through grammar school. And he was with me when I went through high school. And he was with me when I went through college. He was with me on the day that I got married to my bride. He was there with me for each of the births of my three children and the births of my six grandchildren. He was with me on the sweet days and He was with me in the sour days. He was with me on the days where the sun was shining and I was on the mountain with angels and He was with me when I was down in the valley with demons in the darkness. He was with me on the day when I was 8 years old, and not far from here, on the other side of town. My family came from the city and they bought a home. My father put a pool in the backyard, and it was built over a cesspool that we didn't know. And I was in the pool, and all of a sudden I heard something speak to my heart that said, go, and grab on the side of the pool. And I went over and grabbed onto the side of the pool, And in one second, the bottom just totally emptied and all the water was gone and there was a big huge hole underneath me. He was there with me that day and he kept me from dying for if I was not holding on to the side, I would have been sucked into that cesspool and killed. He was there with me on the day that I flipped my truck over a number of times into a ravine. He was there calling me to his son and choosing me to be his child. And he was there with me on the day, on January 15th in 1983, when I knelt down in a little apartment not far from here, and I asked Jesus to come into my heart on that cold bathroom floor with my hands folded over the sink to be my Lord and Savior. And he's been with me ever since. He is the God of my life. He is the God who has forgiven me of all my sins, and he is the God who has healed me of all my sicknesses. He is the God who has forgiven me. He is the God who has strengthened me in times of weakness. He is the God who has encouraged me in times of fear. He is the God who has delivered me from peril. The God who has provided, protected, and corrected me over and over again through my life. He is the God who has given me wisdom. He is the God who has given me understanding. He is the God who has given me revelations. He is the God that has given me mercy. He has given me grace. He is the God who has cared for me. He is the God who has comforted me. And He is the God who continuously challenges me. He is the God who challenges me to raise up my level and live an excellent life for His glory and for His honor. He is the God who has raised me above the pettiness, the insignificance, the smallness of this world. He is the God of my life. Now, I don't know who the God of your life is. For some people, it's their career, their family, it's their money, it's their garden, it's their car, it's their belly, it's entertainment, it's sports. Yahweh. Yahweh is the God of my life. Not the gods of the world. Not the gods of the philosophers. But the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, David, Isaiah. The God of Jesus Christ. He is the God of my life. Who has continued to provide Continue to protect, continue to heal, continue to love, continue to help, continue to give me his joy and continue to give me his peace, his power, and his love. He is the God of my past. He is the God of my future. And he is the God of my present. The passage I just read to you from 1 Peter talks about those three very things. First, He is the God of my past. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I want you to notice the word has. Okay, and it's speaking about something that has happened in the past. He has begotten us. The word begotten is genero. And it's the word that we get genesis from. The idea here is. He has given us new birth. That is essentially what it is saying. To be begotten is to be given birth. And we have been given new birth. Spiritual birth. Essentially eternal birth. We have been born again. We have been transformed we have been changed from being people with spirits that were dead. I was dead to God. I was dead to Jesus Christ. I was dead to his will. I was dead to his way. I, I was dead to everything about him. I wanted nothing to do with him. I was an atheist who was spiritually dead and he came to me and he begot me. He begot me to this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now I'm, I'm going to take you back to the beginning of Jesus' ministry. In John chapter 3, when Nicodemus the Pharisee, a seeking Pharisee, came and spoke to Jesus at night. And they had this conversation. And Jesus here said to him, and I want you to notice the word born again Four times, in just a few verses. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I want you to understand, Nicodemus was a religious man. Man, he was religious through and through. He was a man who sought to keep the 613 laws of Moses. He was religious, but he was spiritually dead. (laughs) He was alive to religion, He was alive to the law, but he was dead to God. So he says to him here, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Do not marvel that... I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. You understand that about the wind? The wind blows. You can't see the wind, but you see the effect of the wind. And the work of the Spirit in a man or woman's life, it's a mystery. You don't see the Spirit, but you see the transformation. You don't see the Spirit, but you see this person. They go from death to life. When, when I was born again, the people around me all thought I was crazy, including my own wife. I went from, again, no interest in God to suddenly having this hunger for his word. This hunger to just share Jesus with every person that I met. From spiritual death to spiritual life, the word there, born, geneo, geneo, to be born of the Pneuma, to be born of the Spirit, to be born from above. The person, the person who who repents, truly repents of their sins and puts their faith in Jesus Christ is the person who experiences new birth. They become alive. And suddenly you're interested in the things of God. Suddenly you have a hunger for the Word of God. You can't get enough of it. You want to commune with Jesus and talk to Jesus you want to honor Jesus, witness of Jesus you're, you're, you're seeking Jesus in your life you know, sometimes people come to me when I give my testimony and they say oh you're a born again Christian you can't be a Christian unless you're born again so you got religion and you've come here today and you have not been born again you cannot be a Christian and not be born again Now that's something, again, that has happened through the centuries. The the reinvention of Christianity. The watering down of Christianity. But true Christianity, you must be born again. To be a Christian. I want to give you you an illustration here. From Genesis chapter 1 verses 1 through 3. Again, Genesis. right? The, the, The Greek word, genero. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then notice what it says here. And the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The word, the word void uh, and without form is bohu tuhu in the Hebrew. It's, it's empty. It's, it's, it's got a huge, right? It's just void, right? It's just void full. There's nothing there. Those first two verses really describe the heart and soul of a person who has not been born again. They're they're essentially, they're formless, they're void, they're empty inside. They don't have God inside of them. They may have religion. They may be highly intelligent people. But in their hearts, they're void. You know this, these are people in your families. These are people you love, people you work with. These are your neighbors. These may be your children. You may be married to a person like this. They're, they're formless and void of God. And the Spirit is hovering. You know what that word, the, the word is? The Spirit is brooding. Like grieving. He's grieving over these people's lives who He wants to save. Who He wants to bring Jesus into their life and bring forgiveness to them. And he's, he's, he's grieving. You know, you may be grieving. You may be brooding. As I am. Over people in my life who I dearly love. Who have not been born again. They have not been saved. They are not forgiven. They're going to hell. Unless. Sometime before they die, they repent and believe. Well, the Holy Spirit is grieving and brooding. Ten million times more than we are. Over those people. Whom. He loves whom God loves. And then notice, in verse 3, then God said, let there be light. And there's light. And there's form. And there's fullness. And there's life. And there is vegetational life. And there is animal life. And there is human life. That's a picture of what happens in a person who has been born again. Jesus uses the word genero, and I, I think Nicodemus was, had to be thinking this as a, as a Hebrew scholar. I don't know if you ever, you're ever reading the New Testament and you just come across passages and it immediately reminds you of the Old Testament. It reminds you of Tanakh. The more you get familiar with the Bible, it happens to me all the time. He's suddenly thinking to himself, wow, that's what God did in the creation. In Titus chapter 3 verse 5. He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds. Which we have done in righteousness. But according to his mercy. By the washing of regeneration. There it is again. The washing. It's it's Pelin. The washing. Genes. Right? Genero. Genesis. It, it, It is the washing of spiritual rebirth. Notice this. The washing, and there are two things, two major things that happen when a person repents and believes in Jesus Christ. The first, there is a washing, and that is the washing of your sins. It is called justification. In Romans chapter 3 through 5, it deals with justification. Chapters 1 through 3 deals with sin. Romans is the great theological work in the New Testament. Closest thing to what I would call a systematic theology. So Romans chapters 1 through 3 deals with sin. Then Romans chapter 4 and 5 deals with justification. Justification is a, a legal term. A person has been justified. They've been declared innocent in a court of law. Right? The gavel is put down. You are innocent. When we receive Jesus into our lives, we are declared innocent. All of our sins are forgiven. Chapter 6, chapter 7, and chapter 8 that deals with regeneration now we have been given we have been given spiritual life and it is always 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 through what Jesus did on the cross and through his resurrection if there is no cross if there is no resurrection there's no hope but we have the hope because of Jesus death and resurrection and it is his death and resurrection that has made us people who were born again people who are born of the spirit he is the god of my past the god of my past second the god of my future in 1 peter chapter 1 verses 4 and 5 to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. I'll tell you something sad. Don't see it a lot here. Thank you, Lord. As people get old, and I'm talking about when they get closer and closer to that day when they will die. There's nothing to look forward to. They're they're heading towards the unknown. There's fear. The grave. All they see is a hole in the ground and a coffin. And that's sad. You know what Nellie said? She said... See, she's got this serious tear. Goes down into her intestines. And she's in her 90s, and her health is not great. And the doctor said, You could die in surgery. You're at a really high risk. And she said, You know, I have my children. I've had my grandchildren. And I've got Jesus Christ in my heart. And she just assured the doctor that if I die, I'm going to be with him. No more pain, right? No more sickness no more hernia. (laughs) That's the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. See, what it says here, we have an inheritance. To get the inheritance, what do you have to do? Well, there has to be, right, death. Our inheritance, we either have to die or be harpazod. We have to be raptured. To, to, get the, to get the inheritance. The born again believer, when they're looking to the future, they're looking to the future with hope because there is a great inheritance. And notice that it's, it's incorruptible and undefiled. Because everything in this world is corrupting. The whole universe is in corruption. Second law of thermodynamics, what does it say? Everything is in a state of, of essentially degeneration. Our, our, our lives, our bodies, right? We're in a state of decay. Like I say this, up to 25, the cells are increasing. From 25 on, they're decreasing. But we're in a state, we're in a state of decay. What is it Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, right? Inwardly, I'm being renewed day by day, but outwardly, right? I'm wasting away. Everything, everything is in decay, Universal decay. But we have an inheritance that is not decaying. It is incorruptible. It is undefiled. It doesn't fade away. We have, notice the word reserved in heaven for you. If you are a true born again believer, you know what you've got? You've got a reservation. (laughs) A reservation in heaven. A reservation of inheritance. You know when you're going somewhere on vacation, maybe going to a nice resort, maybe you got a nice resort, right? Maybe in Hawaii or the Caribbean or even on the Jersey Shore. You're all excited about that, right? Going going to that resort. You look forward to it. You're looking forward to going. You got the reservation, right? They're holding the room for you. You're all excited about it. But well, we have a reservation to heaven. And I'll say this. It's to a resort that's greater than anything that you will find on this earth. Let me just say, just look at, look at what in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, Paul writes here. But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And he's saying, it's totally beyond imagination. This, this reservation to the place, this, this inheritance that is prepared for us, it's beyond our imagination. It's wild. It's incredible. It's amazing. It's wonderful. And your minds cannot wrap themselves around it. The scripture reveals a few things about our inheritance. One thing is glorification, that we will be glorified. So Romans chapter 8, 16 and 17, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and if children then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together. We will receive glorified bodies like Jesus' is glorified bodies. You hear me You know, say this, right? When Jesus was raised from the dead, his body was glorified. He suddenly was able to walk, walk through, the, through the, the door, right? The door wasn't open or the wall, whatever. He was able just literally to travel through space right into the presence of the apostles, right? They, they were shocked. They were afraid. They didn't believe that he had a, a truly body and he had a glorified body. And to prove it, what did he do? He said, give me something to eat. So he had some fish, he had the honeycomb. Just to show him, right? And it didn't fall out. He had this, we will have glorified bodies like Jesus. No more pain. No more sickness. No more dieting. I hope you know they don't work. They never have, and they never will. When you lose weight on a diet, you always get it back. Study after study proves that. It doesn't work. Lifestyle changes work. You've got to change your lifestyle. It's another one of the deceptions of the world. They just keep selling you all this, this diet crap, diet crap, and they got you hooked. No more dieting. You will have, I believe, a glorified soul, your, your mind you won't be going through the distractions and the confusion and the anxiety and the chaos, right? And the worry and the fear, right? We, we, will, we will have a glorified mind and we'll have a glorified spirit where I, I believe just perfect harmony, perfect communion with God, no more interruptions. I mean, it's like when, when Mary just sat at Jesus' feet and she was listening to him, right, teach the word, and we would just have that perfect harmony and that perfect communion with Jesus, right? For all eternity we'll be glorified. So so that that's personal. And then I, I, I want to show you a, a second thing here about the place. The inheritance is a, about a place. And in John 14 verse 1 through 3 it says, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God also. Um, believe in uh, also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there, you may be also. You go to Revelation chapter 21, 22, God creates a new heavens and a new earth, and then you have what is called the New Jerusalem, this this magnificent city, right, coming down from heaven to the earth. That's going to be our home. Though that I believe we are still going to have access to go out into the entire creation that God has created, I think He's going to have things for us to do. But when you when you read Revelation 21 and 22, this, this new Jerusalem, I mean, it's magnificent. I think we're just, we're just given this tiny little glimpse. And, you know, this, let's go look. That's one of the doorways, right? The river of life, right? the trees of life, the mansions, I mean... That's where we're going to be dwelling, in this wonderful place. So he is the God of our future. And he's got a great inheritance for us. Now, the God of our present. God of my present. I don't know how you view life. Sometimes in my webinars and seminars, I'll ask people. You know, people will say, life is, right? People say, life is a bowl of cherries. You know, life is this. Life is, you know, that. I believe that the the Bible really talks about this current life and the few years we have as we walk on this earth is two things. Life is a test and life is a romance, a divine romance. You need to pass the test and you want to enter into the romance. But just a, a, a test and a romance. Let me show you in 1 Peter chapter 1, 6, and 7. I think, again, the test and the romance is explained here beautifully. In this, you greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Isn't, isn't that true about life, right? Life, there is, there is rejoicing. And then at times, there's grief. And you can have the rejoicing and the grief. And sometimes there's grief and rejoicing. But that's a a, a picture of, of life. That the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire may be found to praise honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ we are being tested we are being tested trials will come and they come right they come from they come from everywhere you'll have trials in your career you'll have trials in your ministry right you're going to have trials in your marriage you're going to have trials in your relationship you're going to have trials with your children you're going to have financial trials you're going to have inner trials outer trials that's life you will have trials problems but right? i my friend john maxwell would say i've got problems you got problems oh god children got problems right if you got problems we'll all come to the altar after church Get in a circle. You hold hands and sing Kumbaya. And then feel good knowing that we're not the only ones in the church who have problems. We're in a test. And, and it's a test of fire. If you, think, if you think about fire, if you take something that essentially will, will disintegrate and you put it into a fire, right? It's destroyed. Put wood into a fire, right? It's burned up. It becomes ashes. Put a high quality steel into a fire, it become red hot, it become white hot. But essentially, it can't be destroyed by the fire. Well, that's the test. This is a test. The life that you're living is a test. That's key to, un- to understand. When Jesus, when Jesus gave the parable of the sower, and let me tell you, I encourage something. You lead a person to Christ. First thing you should do, take them through the parable of the sower. Let them understand the parable of the sower. You know how many people have come to the altar? You know, I, don't, I don't do the, 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 the prayer anymore because it's not biblical just let's say a prayer and if you pray the prayer you're saved no you're not no you're not you need to repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ to be saved saying a prayer will not save you it's it leads people into delusion and i did it for years and then i watched people who were never saved they were never saved and I said, they can't, they can't do this. That's not in the Bible. we we're a living word community church. We're a Bible-believing church. Let's make sure we stay in accord with what's in the Bible and not, again, what is in the traditions, even the tr- recent traditions. Now, I know some of you will be upset at that and say, well, geez, I have loved ones who prayed the prayer and then they died. Look, man, all I can tell you is people need to have the gospel explained to them and they need to understand that they need to repent of their sins. They need to turn from their sins, come to Jesus, confess to Him that they are a sinner and then put their faith in Him that He is the Savior, the way, the truth, and the life that nobody can come to the Father except through Him. That is how a person is genuinely saved. That's what the Bible says. If you could show me a prayer where people just pray a prayer and are getting saved, show it to me. There's no prayer. It's true repentance of the heart and putting one's faith in Jesus when you lead somebody into repentance and faith in Jesus, show them the parable of the sower. I think it's the first thing you need to do. Show them the parable of the sower, because the parable of the sower basically demonstrates three tests. Three tests in the parable of the sower. Let me show you this. First test, verses 18 and 19 of Matthew 13. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what has sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. First test, the test of the devil. If the word is not understood, if they do not grasp onto the word, Satan will come and he'll take it away from them. You see people again, they come up, they pray a prayer, right? They leave. Satan snatches it away, snatches it away instantaneously. Second test, Matthew chapter 13, 20, 21. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation and persecution arise because of the word, immediately he stumbles. The test of tribulation. That's the test of trouble. The test of problems. I didn't know that there were going to be problems. I thought when I come to Jesus, everything was going to be fine. I thought everything was going to be wonderful. I thought everything was just going to be going smoothly. And you know what? You listen to a lot of people and the way they present the gospel. That's how it's presented. And then when people go through the trials, when people go through persecution, they are absolutely blown away. One thing, Jesus is brutally honest. I think a lot of preachers are not. I think their egos are so are so wrapped up in building a church and get, having a full church that they will tell people all kinds of lies just to keep the seats filled. You're just not presenting the truth. The test of tribulation, the test of persecution. When, when Sue and I came to the Lord... At least, I guess, most of our friends, the people we were running, not all, you know, Jerry Palmieri, and, I mean, Mark Benevento, but, but many of our friends deserted us. In fact, some of them, when it, as soon as they heard that I came out and said, yeah, I'm, I'm a born-again Christian, they just ran. They didn't even say anything bad, they just ran. And you know what? We didn't care. There's a test of our faith. We didn't care. We, we, could, we couldn't give a hoot or anything else, because we had Jesus. We had Jesus in our life. Third test. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. So the cares of the world, the cares of the marriage, the cares of the family, the cares of the career, the cares that are financial those things just just totally right just squeeze out they squeeze out jesus the deceitfulness of riches the deceitfulness of materialism by the way you don't have to have riches to be deceived by riches i've seen people who have nothing they're poor and again they spend their life and they're trading their soul For something that they never get through their whole life, pursuing riches. I see that all the time. Let me tell you, I see that all the time in the business world that I'm in. People just, they're they're literally, they're, they're, they're selling their soul in the hope of getting the world. And they never get either of them. They lose their soul and they... The deceitfulness of riches. Those are three tests. Notice there, there is the fourth. It's not a test, but it's the person who passes the test. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. It's the person who passed the test. It's a person who is a true born-again believer. And the test is a lifetime. I I haven't completed the test yet. I will complete it on the day when I breathe my last breath and I go to be with Jesus. But I haven't completed the test yet because the test is every day. Do you ever hear of selection? The Navy Seals, Delta Force, the SAS. They'll They'll take 200, 500 men and they and they put them through this this torturous these just these torturous days where they're going i mean they're going 20 hours a day they're going without sleep i mean you see some of the in the cold water of the pacific i mean just the, the physical things that they put them some people think that this is training preparing them to be navy seals it's it's not training to prepare them it's selection it's elimination they put they put them through this elimination for the purpose of finding the ones who truly have what it takes, they have the metal, psychological, emotional, physical metal, to be able to endure massive amounts of pain and keep going on. Those are who our Navy Seals are. Those are who our Delta Force is. That is who the SAS is. It's selection. It's a test. We're in selection. We're. In a test. For those who are true believers, true born-again believers, they will become stronger through the test. For those who are not, they will quit. They'll walk away. So you see James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So people come to you and they say, well, you know, well, well, the tests and the trials and the tribulations, they're there to make you strong. Actually, they're there to prove you. And if you're proven to be true, it will make you strong. If you're not a true believer, you'll just be exposed for what you are. So this is, it's a test. Secondly, it's a romance. It's a divine romance between Jesus and his bride. Look at what is said in verses 8 and 9 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Whom having not seen you love, I've never seen him. And let me tell you, I love him more than anything or anyone. I've never seen him. Yet I've devoted my life to him. I've devoted my life to following him, to serving him, and to telling others about him. And I've never seen him. I love him more than anyone or anything. When Sue and I were young believers, God is working in our hearts We're two kids in our early 20s. And we found what we were looking for. And it wasn't in the places that we thought we would find it. But we found Jesus. And, and we go to church on Sunday morning. We go to church on Sunday night. We go to church on Wednesday. And we just love going and just sitting and hearing the word of God. And then we got involved. We got involved in, in, in ministry. I haven't, I haven't sat down in 40 years. I don't believe in it really. I sit down with God and I sit down in my accountability group. Other than that, I'm always up preaching, teaching, and serving. Not that it's wrong to sit, you need to sit. But you need to stand as well. So one day we're going to church, it was on a Sunday night, going over the railroad tracks in Bergenfield by the condo, and I looked at her and I said, you know, I love Jesus more than you. And she just looked at me and she just said, matter of factly, I love Jesus more than I love you. <laughs> and that's where it's been. That's where it's been. We've never seen him, but we love him more. We love him more than our own children. We love him more than our grandchildren. We love him more than we love you. We love him who we have never seen. And though now you do not see him, yet believing. And we believe in Him. I believe in Jesus more than I believe in me. <laughs> or you. Just my, my confidence, you know, There's in belief, there's, there's different levels of belief. What is called a certitude is where your faith is so absolutely strong, it's immovable. Nothing can shake it. And I have a, a certitude With Jesus, just, I mean, I believe he is my Savior. I believe he is my Lord. I believe he took, right, the three nails into his hands and feet 2,000 years ago, six hours that Friday, to take my sins upon himself and so that I could be forgiven. I believe he was raised from the dead. I believe He's truly the the Lord and and, and giver of life, the resurrection and the life. He He is my vine. He is my light. He is my bread. Just, I believe in Him. Yet, I've never seen Him. And that belief rises up with joy, inexpressible to glory receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Love Him. That's His work. Right? Key notes. He is the God of my life. He is the God of my past who has begotten me, generaed me, and given me new birth through the Spirit. He's the God of my future who has a a wonderful inheritance that's, that's wild, that's amazing, that's extraordinary, that's stupendous, and my small little mind just has a little tiny taste of it, and he's the God of my present, going through the test, but he's there with me every day. Holding my hand, infusing me with his power, energizing me with his strength, and strengthening me through his spirit. The God of my past, the God of my future, the God of my present. Is he your God? Is he your God? Is he your God? Is he your God? For those of you sitting at home watching this this morning, who I believe many of you are too lazy to get here, I really do believe that. I'm I'm very thankful that I am not pastoring you and you are in the core of the church because we wouldn't have a church if that was the case. For those of you who are ill, God bless you, get well. For those of you who live far away who are watching us today, find a church and get into it and then watch us after the broadcast is being produced. You need to be in a church. You need to be in a body. You need to have accountability. You need to serve God. But is he the God of your life? That's the question I leave you with. Is he the God of your life? Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit, who is our guide, our comforter, and our teacher. We thank you for your word, Lord God. And we thank you for this morning, Lord God, this word from 1 Peter. Let us just take it to heart. Let us chew on it, Lord God. Let us digest it. Let us assimilate it. the God of our past, the God of our future, the God of our present, the God of our lives.